This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Ready or Not is brought to you by the 10th Co. Creators of science-backed supplements for mothers by a mother. Prior to motherhood, I felt like I was sort of just one person. And then suddenly I'm, I'm a mother and I've returned to work. I feel like I started to see the world really differently and appreciate the world differently. I didn't quite fit into any of the mum stereotypes. One person was willing to talk about the gritty things that we like try to sweep under the rug at all other times. We're not meant to be static. You know, hopefully he'll one day forget the sad daycare drop-offs, but he'll remember what kind of mother I was. For over a decade, Hayley Collins has worked across book, magazine and digital publishing. But it was through the birth of her son that she began to explore the intersection of creativity and motherhood through her own writing. As she struggled to reconcile the new and renewed aspects of her identity, she found herself considering conundrums commonly faced by mothers who are creatives. And so, Howl magazine was born. Within its pages, Haley and her subjects explore what it means to be a mother and a creative in a society that places little monetary value on either role. And here, she talks leaving her job in pursuit of creating Howl, setting boundaries to avoid the severe burnout she experienced, and her contrasting reflections on the beauty and pain of motherhood. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the perceptive and probing Hayley Collins. Hayley, you've recently added writer and publisher of Howl magazine to your resume. What came before for you career-wise? Mm, so I would say that I've probably always been a writer, as many writers will sort of say about themselves. Um, but my career had a bit of a winding journey. Um, out of high school, I figured out that formal education was not for me. So I, you know, just got a job in customer service and I, I kind of spent my young adulthood just figuring myself out, figuring out what I liked and didn't like. Um, and then it wasn't until my mid-20s that I actually landed a marketing role for a digital media company. Um, and around the same time as that, I founded my first magazine, which was a feminist magazine for teen girls. So that was sort of when my career journey kicked off and it felt maybe a little bit delayed in some ways, but also very um, informed by those years of just figuring myself out as well. I had those two kind of experiences concurrently of working in digital media where I was planning big events and award ceremonies and doing lots of travel for work alongside the magazine, which was also a lot of travel and public speaking and really amazing opportunities like going to the G20 um, Young Entrepreneurs Alliance Summit in Moscow and wild, wild things. That's but, incredible. Yeah, that like when you're 25 just seem, I don't know, we kind of took it in our stride, but lots of those types of experiences that really kind of shaped the direction that I was heading in. You know, being exposed to these amazing women at, at awards that I was planning and running like Julia Gillard and Tara Moss and um, lots of 
inspirational, I suppose, people in very different ways that, that I was coming across in that time. And it was an amazing time, but also impossible to sustain doing both of those, essentially two different careers alongside each other. Uh, and so I definitely burnt out and the magazine folded after a few years. And around the same time, I sidestepped from digital media into marketing children's books. Book publishing has sort of been the direction that I took from there. From working in children's publishing, that was kind of fast-paced in a different way, just like the churn of, of working with lots of amazing authors and illustrators and books coming out all of the time. And it, it was while I was working in children's publishing that we decided to start trying to get pregnant, which it was maybe surprisingly kind of a, a stressful environment in some ways, like publishing is quite an under-resourced um, industry. So it wasn't kind of happening. And, and I moved into a, a role with a different publishing company, which was working on art and design books and, you know, still really exciting work, but a bit of a slower pace and fell pregnant immediately um, in that environment. So yeah, it was, it was interesting that it happened that way. What were you feeling in the lead up to falling pregnant? Were you someone that was worried about how you would balance motherhood and career or were you just sort of ready for that next phase? I felt ready. Uh, I remember when we, when I felt really ready, we were actually traveling, we were overseas and we were sitting in a park in Oslo. And I just remember feeling like I'd sort of ticked enough of my personal career goals. And um, we were on this amazing trip. And I remember saying to my partner then that that was when I sort of felt ready to consider it. And it was still kind of a bit of time then before we started trying. Um, but I didn't feel kind of any anxiety around it. I maybe very naively thought that it would all be quite seamless and that I would just continue on kind of as normal um, and, and doing something, whether it was my same job or not. I just sort of thought it would be like yeah, getting back to business as usual. And you mentioned that idea of ticking off a list, which I think is what a lot of womb holders feel, that they they have to tick things off. That Like it's a cliff of the unknown and you want to get to this certain phase of your life before you have kids. Did you really feel that? Was that a conscious thing that was going through your head even in your late 20s? Not exactly. I wouldn't say that I was like an extremely maternal person who was just like trying to tick things off to get to that point. I didn't really want I knew that I wanted children eventually but it's not like yeah when I was in my 20s I was focused on what I was doing my goals were all very much around my career my various careers um, and the things that I wanted to achieve in that realm and then it wasn't until maybe I didn't have as many plates spinning in the air that it felt like oh I actually have space and energy and attention to like put towards this this next thing that felt really far away before that. And so you move into art and design publishing. You all of a sudden fall pregnant quite quickly. How does pregnancy go for you alongside work? It was a little bit, well, it felt a little bit awkward to me um, because I hadn't expected to fall pregnant so quickly. I had just assumed that it was going to be, continue being a long journey for us. So there was sort of that initial few months of trying to keep it concealed, which was really largely down to the fact I was still in my probation period and just wanting to drag that out for as long as possible. Um, but I was really fortunate that kind of the nausea was the kind of worst it got for me. I wasn't actually super sick. And so provided I had my kind of snacks, my little snack box with me at all times, um, I was able to sort of get by until the time when I spoke to my 
managing director and he was really supportive and and I have to say they were so accommodating to, towards me um you know there was a lot going on I'm trying to think there was the Black Saturday bushfires um were happening at that time and I, I think I asked to kind of go down to working four days a week at one point to sort of not be out and about commuting as much and you know they, they were really great about yeah accommodating those requests and supportive of of that and wanting me to come back as soon as possible. I remember my mum telling me not to apologise when I told my boss I was pregnant. I imagine that feels a little bit more loaded when you're new somewhere. How did that actually go in terms of the way you communicated that? Were you really steadfast in trying not to apologise or do you feel like you were like, fuck, sorry, I know I just got here, but off I go. (laughs) I think it's in my nature to not be overly apologetic and I would give that advice to somebody else but in that scenario I definitely was apologetic and I did feel like I had sort of deceived them which I hadn't intentionally. No it's so hard but I understand that feeling. Yeah you know like you don't pause your life for something that's kind of been you've been trying for, for for months and months already so there was a bit of like awkwardness around feeling like I had to apologize or explain, which is such a weird thing to just sit down with your MD and be like, oh, so it's because we've been trying for so long already. Like they don't need to know that information about your life. Um, but yeah, no, he's, I mean, he's got family and kids and and he was really, yeah, as I said, really understanding and de- definitely eased my kind of worries about, about that. Um, and the largest team was all really happy for me. And it was reassuring that it played out like that because at that point in the company's structure I was sort of the youngest person by quite a lot sitting on the management team and I already sort of had that feeling of having to earn my place and then oh like I've got my foot in the door and then I'm just going to head straight back out so yeah there was, there was as you you said it was like a bit more of a loaded thing but um yeah I can't fault the company for how they they handled that for me hopefully that becomes more and more common because it's a position that so many pregnant people are in. So many have just moved jobs and then go through that. So I'm glad you had a good experience with that. What was the maternity leave plan like for you? Did you have a certain amount of time that you were going to take off? So because we'd been trying for quite a while, I felt like I I knew I wanted a year and they were supportive of that. And we had sort of like saved up and planned so that financially that was not an issue for us. Um, there was talks of me going back like maybe on some contact hours earlier but of course um we we had COVID and lockdown so I basically had my son and then two weeks later was when the first lockdowns hit and that really ultimately cemented the the kind of deciding factor of the the full year I think it ended up being 13 months maybe by the time I actually went back but yeah, even even prior to to the lockdowns and COVID, I, I felt like I really wanted that time to just enjoy focusing on, on being a mum. I ask you that because before I fell pregnant, I was definitely one of those people that was like six months will be plenty. I'll want to go back to work then. But I ended up doing a year and my boss was like, you'll never regret it. I promise you. She was a mum. And I had a feeling that you might have had a similar thing, maybe started out thinking I'll take less time. And then I think when it when it doesn't happen as quickly as you think, you definitely like, oh, this is precious and this is sacred and this isn't easy. Yeah. So I'm going also, to enjoy it. 
I think because I probably had in the back of my mind that I wanted to sidestep into something else as well that made like that I so I had hopes of kind of going on maternity leave and having this creative awakening which like is sort of what happened but not in the timeline that I had imagined and so I I think part of it was enjoying just being a mom and part of it was I was like oh, a year is a good amount of time to really like figure out my next steps and if that meant going back to the same job then that's great but if it meant figuring out like a completely different path then that felt like a good amount of time um but yeah that 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 year was a write-off creatively so that's not what happened what you just said feels like you're inside my brain that's exactly how I thought of maternity leave so we've mentioned during pregnancy there were really bad bushfires you then have your baby two weeks later you're in a lockdown that we've never been in in our generation tell us about early motherhood it was all these things happening in the world at the same time that your world is literally cracked wide open at home too. I mean, everyone who has been through becoming a mother during that period has probably felt the same way where you have this life-altering thing happen that is meant to be, well, it is like the most positive thing and most beautiful thing, but then that happiness is overshadowed or like really countered by this really heavy um, anxiety-inducing sad thing that's happening. So, yeah, I mean, at at the time, the very initial postpartum, we just didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know how long it was going to drag on. So we could only respond to what was going on in the moment. I remember um, we had a beautiful postpartum doula and rather than having her visit kind of like concentrate her visits all in the first few weeks, we stretched her visit out to one per week so that she could continue seeing me for like two months because my partner went back um and he was an essential worker, so he was doing five to six days a week. And I was in a little two-bedroom unit in an area where I didn't, like, have family or friends remotely close by. So, yeah, I kind of instantly had that feeling of isolation um, right then and having her visit was the one kind of, like, silver lining on my week. What was your health anxiety like then? in the early days because obviously a newborn it's scary anyway trying to keep a newborn alive um I would say that initially I didn't have too much anxiety about him and his health because I guess we weren't really seeing anyone the only places I could go I was just like walking the streets like there was no like coffee shop or anything close by we're in a bit of a we were in a bit of a black hole in terms of the community um resources around us but definitely kind of a bit later on once I was we we ended up moving house and like once I was getting out and about a bit more I was definitely someone that felt a lot of anxiety around um yeah people not wearing masks things like that just because we didn't know how it was going to impact babies at that point. And the assumption was that because they're smaller and more fragile, that, that it was going to be a worse impact. So yeah, that was definitely a factor. And I did, I ended up getting um, like postpartum um, anxiety and, and depression at about the four month mark. And it was like reasonably mild and I was able to sort of work through it. Or I thought I was able to work through it. Um, we moved house back to be closer to family. We had more space. And once those changes happened, I felt like it was sort of all clear. Um, in hindsight, I don't know if that's actually the case. But, yeah, it's you, it was a very direct cause and effect. Like I was in lockdown. I was by myself. 
most of the time and the yeah the fallout was the anxiety and depression so what did postnatal anxiety and depression look like for you for everyone it's so different and I think even if you don't go through it you can access what that feels like because we all have our low moments in early motherhood but to sort of know what that might feel like and experience it are two very different things you're right because I think I was really um so my mum had had postnatal depression so I was on the lookout for it already but the things that I was on the lookout for and the um the education I sort of had around how postnatal depression presents itself was sort of like, you know, crying all the time, not feeling a connection to your child or, you know, that that side of it wasn't really the case for me. Um, he was like my entire focus. So I felt like our relationship was very healthy and and the the ways that it started creeping in it was more on the anxiety side of things or like uh, like an absent-mindedness like a and this was not this was sort of three or four months into things where I would just kind of be sitting there and I'd realized that my my brain had sort of just like wandered off into this hole of like worry um and I was very detached because of that so that was part of it and then the the anxiety really ramped up um whenever I left the house um I had there's these other factors I had a dog attack me um, within the first few weeks of, of having my son. I didn't get hurt, but we we had a dog park near our house. And so we were walking as a family and a dog like came and tried to like like attack our family. Um, no postpartum mother needs that. <laughs> no, and because I didn't really have anywhere else to go, it meant that every time I left the house, I well, it was at the end of our street, it was unavoidable that there were, I was going to be coming into contact with dogs. (laughs) And so that just meant that like, I was always worried if I saw a dog, I would just suddenly get really anxious. I'm not like this now, but that was just like these kind of irrational fears that because it had happened once, it was going to happen anytime I saw a dog and that like I was somehow going to attract this aggression from dogs. So I wonder if that part of that is the sort of instinct of becoming a parent, that hunter-gatherer, like fight or flight thing and protecting your baby. I really felt like I was sitting in that fight or flight that was that was absolutely how I was feeling anytime I left the house. And then I ended up getting a few things checked out and I had still like a thyroid imbalance. So as well as moving house and um, like the lifestyle factors sort of changing, I took some supplements and like got my thyroid sorted out and that kind of helped on the anxiety front because it was overactive. But yeah, at the, and to be honest, as I said, I don't think that I actually fully addressed the anxiety and depression. So over time it has looked different as well. Like the way that it looked then was very much dominated by the anxiety um, and the sort of going from feeling very detached to feeling extremely anxious and and afraid. And then over time it manifested as like maternal rage and like other, other incarnations of it. So yeah, it's like one of those things that I think if you don't if you're not paying careful attention, you can assume that it's resolved when actually it's something that you're kind of reckoning with ongoing. The depths of emotions that you can feel in motherhood, particularly the negative ones, they're almost too big to address at the time. You will just crumble and fall in a heap and all of the bad things going on in the world or the fact that you're one day going to leave your child, all those things, they're almost too big to face. Do you think that's part of it, that we almost 
we're challenged with these thoughts we've never had before becoming parents. It's almost like we put them to the side because it's too big. I agree. I read someone said someone had said that when it comes to depression, they have written a note for themselves when they are depressed and a note for themselves when they are not depressed to the other aspects of themselves because I and I think that that is a good way of demonstrating that when you are in you know whether it's depression or anxiety or or whatever you know you're reckoning with it can be really difficult to see it when you're in it and you just feel like this is how you've always felt and you know and I, I know I'm not any expert to be speaking about this but in my experience it's really hard to see it when you're in it. And it's only in hindsight as you kind of move through, if you're lucky enough to move through it, that you're able to look back and go, oh, wow, that's what that was when you have that distance. That's a really interesting analogy. I want to stay on mum rage because we actually talked about that in this week's episode of Witching Hour. How did mum rage show up for you? When my son worked, so it was actually after I'd gone back to work, um, that first year I it was fine. He was my only focus. And then when he, I went back to work and as we sort of approached around the one and a half mark with him, I don't know if it was because I was also trying to juggle things with, with returning to work or if it was completely separate, but I really grapple, had to grapple with um, the loss of control that comes with them growing he was growing into this very determined and independent toddler and prior to that I had a baby who was completely reliant on me and I guess in a world that felt very out of control the control of like keeping an infant alive and them depending on you and needing you and then going to you know him it was really like again in hindsight really silly things like him like stomping on our garden bed and like ripping the flowers and things like that would set me off because I'd be like how do I like a rational person would just lift the child and move them to a new place but in the moment I'd just like spiral into rage over over it like why won't you do what I tell you to do so that's how it looked for me it was very much tied to control and you know I've heard of other people it's when they're their kids are like hitting them or getting very physical that that can be a trigger and you know I've, I guess I've experienced that too my, my child can can behave like that as they well love a whack don't they yeah. <laughs> but but for me the the control issue was definitely the thing that in the first instance was the thing that brought that rage out of me and you know I had to learn what my triggers were I had to learn about repairing you know now he's three and a half and I feel like particularly once he developed, you know, an extensive kind of vocabulary and comprehension, things started to get a lot easier. And I feel that we can manage the two of us because I'm able to mostly regulate my own emotions. And on the times where I do lose it, I am able to have that repair with him that he can understand as well. So I'm glad that I went through it in the moment. I felt like I was destroying our relationship. But if I hadn't have gone through all of that, I don't think our, yeah, our relationship wouldn't be what it is now. I love the reflective work you've done on that too, because in this article article that we reference, it's about a book called Mum Rage by Minna Dubbin. And she talks about going through like, if your needs are being met and what are your triggers. So it's incredible that, you, that you've already done all of that reflective work. I want to take you back now to leading up to the return to work. You had the backdrop of COVID through a lot slash most of your maternity leave how did that, I guess, influence your return to work and how you may have felt in the lead up? 
I would say I felt conflicted. It was more that because of COVID and the lockdowns, I felt like I didn't get the experience of kind of maternity leave that I had expected, which I guess on a surface level sounds a bit superficial, but it was being able to get out and about with friends and family and have them get to know my child. And And we all have those dreams of the coffees with your girlfriends and an afternoon wine with your baby on a picnic rug out in the sun. I understand that. Yeah, so we were coming into summer and lockdowns were easing and I just wanted to give that to myself and I'm so glad that I did because I don't feel the need to redo it. Like it doesn't, it still wasn't perfect, so it absolutely was not, but I, I gave myself enough of that time that it felt like I had that. And when I was going back to work, I felt ready, as, as ready as you can feel um, because I kind of waited he, he had turned one, we had his birthday, and then I was back into it. So I, w- I was ready but conflicted because it is obviously a conflicting thing to be in lockdown with a child and be their main companion or then be your main companion for so many months and then know that you're going to be physically separate from them. Yeah, it feels like a very big before and after. But I think when you return to paid work, it's less less black and white than I thought it might feel. Did you find that? Did you enjoy the return to work more than maybe you thought you would? I definitely enjoyed it. And the ways that I found it difficult were more to do with the, like just the logistics of being needed by somebody. I think the daycare germs that hit him extremely hard and then hit me extremely hard and, you know, that that logistical side of things was very difficult and I think is difficult for everybody and is only now much more recently being spoken about, you know, how widely difficult it is. But at the time I had worked with, so I mean, I worked in female-dominated industries with many mothers over the years and I saw them go have to go pick up their sick kids and I honestly didn't feel like, I don't feel like I actually had that much empathy for them at the time because it wasn't you never got that inside glimpse into how difficult it was. I feel the exact same even when I think about things like where would that mother who returned to work have been pumping? Like it just doesn't really cross your mind unless you're going through it. Exactly, exactly. Like I had such a lack of perspective and compassion, I think, the the people going through it. So, you know, in that way it was difficult. But being able to go back to a job where I was surrounded by, I mean, passionate, talented co-workers and collaborators and you know the authors and artists that I was working with um, to promote their books it was exactly what I needed after being so interior for so long and so inwards focused for so long and it helped me to look outward and it really was one of the catalysts that sort of helped my mind open back up after this period of feeling like it was yeah very much in a hyper-focused state. So you're back to paid work. You're a mother now too, as we know. There's a lot more logistics, as you've just spoken about. Then an idea plants into your head for Howl Magazine. Tell us about those thoughts first swirling around. The idea for Howl felt very, was almost subconscious the way that the ideas formed. In many ways, it was a natural culmination of my experience working, you know, having had my prior prior magazine Um, working in digital media, working in publishing on children's books and art books. It was was like it all kind of came together. But 
before I kind of got to that point and had that realization, there were all these little sort of signpost moments along the way. And each one sort of led me on to the next thing. And some examples are, you know, reading a reading an article by art critic Hetty Judah about artist mothers needing to separate their identity in order to be taken seriously in the art world. And then around the same time, the artist Bobby Clark, who I ended up interviewing for issue one, posted about how, you know, anytime she shares something about her infant son on Instagram, she loses followers. And, you know, I was working alongside, working to promote a new children's book for an artist named Kat McLeod. And she's a perfect example of, you know, somebody who is an artist and a mother and integrates those identities really beautifully and seamlessly. But then at the same time as I was working with her, I read the book Night Bitch, which was, you know, about this artist mother who those aspects of her identity are very much at odds with one another. And so, you know, they're just a couple of examples, but I was having these little signpost moments all throughout the year that I returned to work. And alongside that, I got back into writing for the first time in a really long time, probably since before I was working in publishing almost. There was a really long gap there. And I was mostly writing um, poetry and stream of consciousness stuff that was through the lens of motherhood that I was finding really fulfilling and fulfilling in a very different way to mother being a mother, which was fulfilling in its own way too. And so having these different identities of myself Whereas prior to motherhood, I felt like I was sort of just one person. And then suddenly I'm, I'm a mother and I've returned to work and I'm also a writer again. And how do I integrate all of these aspects of myself? The other thing is that this is a bit of a tangent, but like the other thing is that I found with becoming a mother, and I know that it's not necessarily the case for everyone, but for me, it really felt like such a profound like shift in perspective, not just that I could see things from the pers- other people's perspectives, but because I just, I feel like I started to see the world really differently and appreciate the world differently. And it was almost, um, I don't know, I feel like it's almost like a spiritual experience and that doesn't really get spoken about very much. It never gets spoken about. It's like, again, you could be inside my brain. That's exactly how I felt. Like my emotions and the things I was thinking about were all of a sudden so different. And you actually just reminded me of something I read earlier today. I think this is a famous quote, so maybe I'm a bit like to this one, but it's a mother who says that motherhood was like the ultimate equalizer for her. She was able to all of a sudden relate to so many different types of people and experiences. Did you feel that? I absolutely felt felt that. I suddenly felt like that I had this kind of perspective on myself that I'd never had before. And it allowed me to have, to just like kind of drop a lot of the judgments that I had been carrying prior to that. Um, but also just like, you know, you're seeing things through the eyes of this brand new person. And so even just like reconnecting with nature, like, you know, there's there's so many aspects to it where like I was suddenly, you know, sometimes I'll just sit here at my dining table that is my makeshift desk. And I've chosen this place because our actual desk is in this like dark side room. And I sit here because I can look out at the trees blowing in the wind. And it's just an appreciation for the natural world that it's such, but it's connected to to yeah. becoming a mum because I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have tapped back into that appreciation in such a profound way if I hadn't seen it through his eyes. So yeah, it's almost like that beginner's mind concept again. Absolutely. Yeah. So there, there was all of that sort of swirling around alongside the the signpost moments. And I guess alongside my own experience of 
you know, having that anxiety and that depression and feeling really isolated. And honestly, that, again, probably not going away the way that I thought that it did and feeling like I didn't quite fit into any of the mum stereotypes that were kind of being proliferated and feeling like I needed to create that space for myself. After becoming a mother, I distinctly remember when that sense of exhaustion sunk in. I remember it catching me by surprise and I quickly realised that I'd been running on adrenaline for months and months after my son's birth. Postnatal depletion affects over 50% of mothers and the effects can last for up to 10 years after giving birth. What many new mothers like me don't know is that if they don't replete and recover from the early phase of motherhood, they will feel the effects for years to come, with even their menopause being impacted. That's why the work of The Tenth Co, created by mother Frida Olgars in collaboration with Dr Oscar Serilach, is so important. Just because extreme fatigue and all that comes with it is common in motherhood, it doesn't mean it's normal. And their top-rated product, Flow State, works to relieve fatigue, support energy production, calm the mind, and support healthy mood balance, hair, skin, and nails. Listeners of Ready or Not will receive $15 off their hero product, Flow State, using code FEELMOREADYTHANNOT at thetenthco.com. So then you leave your day job to start how? What happens next? So it was a a bit of a process. Um, first, it was obviously creating a brand uh, in this kind of the social media times that we live in. It's not just a matter of making a magazine anymore. So I worked with uh, Ilsa Winholsha Kid, who is an amazing photographer, and she'd done our family photos and pregnancy photos. So we did a sort of branding shoot for how before how ever existed, um, just based off what I thought it could be. And then once we had the photos from that shoot, I took those to Amy from Sun Mother Studios, who designed the kind of branding for the business. And the shoot informed the branding, and then the branding and the shoot informed the direction of the magazine, which I pulled together and you know, edited and designed and whatnot. Um, But that whole process, like I left my job in publishing in January and the magazine, the first issue didn't come out until like the start of February the following year. So it was actually that all up, it was a full year of creating the brand and, and the magazine. And I like to be transparent that there's like so much privilege in the fact that I was able to do that as well. But I'm very aware that there's so many people who have amazing ideas and creative passions that they either need to juggle alongside so many competing priorities or they just have to push them right down to the bottom of the pile. So that was part of why I decided to do it because I was sort of now or never, like I was feeling the courage, I was feeling the inspiration and we hadn't quite gotten used to having my income back in the mix. And so we were sort of like, well, if if it's ever going to, you know, if we're ever going to take this financial hit, it sort of has to be now. Um, otherwise, I'll just go back to sort of choosing the security of having that wage. And so a magazine is a lot. The process of it is equally creative as it is sort of big picture logistics. I found at times, I do a lot of writing too, and I found at times in motherhood, 
it's easier to access that logistical part of my brain because I'm already doing so much thinking that I didn't do before my son existed. How did you work with that? Or was the creativity just flowing and you were able to get your words out? Or was it like you activated different parts of your brain at different times? I would say I probably struggle in the reverse where the creative side of it is the process of putting the magazine together is such a joy for me and comes very effortlessly. Obviously, it's a lot of work involved, but it all just forms like a lot of it forms or it's sort of this thing gives me an idea for that thing and it comes together in a way that feels really enjoyable and I can lose myself in the process of creating the magazine and not feel kind of stressed about that taking up all of my time but the logistical side of things and the business side of things I assumed that that would be easy because I, in our household, I am very much a logistical person in our family, but I find it really quite difficult to switch um, between the creative and, and the, the logistic thinking sometimes, not always, but sometimes, and especially when it's knowing that it's something that I'm not as good at. I think, you know, you become a mother and all of your personal flaws are suddenly like very apparent to yourself and then you become a business owner and all of your shortfalls in that regard become very apparent to you as well so you know I'm very aware that like pushing the sales side of things and the need to always be like switched on and outward facing are the things that I really struggle with and I have to push myself to do more of but also have compassion for myself that I'm not always going to be able to show up the way that you're sort of supposed to. And that's okay because I'm not working to anyone else's business model, but my own. And so you're at Dave publishing your first volume. How are you feeling at this stage? You've put a lot of yourself into this magazine. It's daunting as hell pushing something out into the world and being like, I hope there's no bloody grammar errors, let alone (laughs) just putting so much of yourself into something. How did you feel? So firstly, there's definitely grammar errors because I just think they're <laughs> one person. You just reach a point where you're like, I have to draw a line in the sand. And you just cannot keep reading over the same words and seeing something different, unfortunately. I never notice them. Don't worry. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Look, I'm just, it's just one of those things where I'm like, one day I'll be able to like call in the people with the skills and the help to help me with the things that like the, the errors and the things that I'm not as good at. But in terms of the first issue, I, I felt okay. I didn't feel anxious. I knew how much effort I had put into it. And, I mean, the thing that has to be said is when you're starting something new and you don't have kind of a following or, like, social capital or clout to, like, draw people in, you really have to sell the concept, right? Like, you know this. So I I felt really quite secure by the time the first issue was coming out because I had already gone through, like, approaching people to be involved and really having to sell the the vision for it and then you, you know posting about it on social media I felt quite secure in that regard the, the product was not ever something I really doubted I knew my market because of my work experience I knew it was visually beautiful it was fine but once it came out and after that initial flurry of like the first month of just like fulfilling orders, posting on socials, there was like the launch event, there was other events that I was going to. It was just like a really hectic month. And and I again, I, like I just feel like I never really recovered from lockdown. I literally just went to being like inside with my baby to 
like working kind of part-time from home sometimes and then back to just working from home all the time by myself. So that month of the launch did really burn me out. And then off the back of the burnout, I really spiraled quite badly into like now with hindsight, a whole of what I recognized was that anxiety and depression returning. Um, but at the time I just thought I was only burnt out and that it was much more of a physical response in my body, which it which it was. I had kind of health issues flare up because my, you know, I'd been obviously so tightly wound for so long. But then there was this other side of that that was this like, yeah, really quite despairing anxiety and like sadness like just yeah just like I would say like a bit of a despair that about myself personally so I saw it was kind of quite siloed like I had the magazine which I felt fine about but I was just not feeling very good about myself. On that note of burnout I want to talk about your editor's letter in the second issue I'm going to read a little bit of it so you said in hindsight I was maybe inevitably too intertwined with issue one. If it was earnest and probing and hopeful, it's because I am all of those things and I poured all of myself into its pages. My burnout was the worst I've ever experienced and the most vulnerable I've ever felt, pregnancy, labour and postpartum included. I'm genuinely good now. I've recalibrated nicely and there are stories to share for another time about boundaries and belonging about how, for better or for worse, the physical and the mental are so delicately intertwined and how creative process, in this instance, the process of putting together issue two, can be so healing. Firstly, can you tell us about that burnout a little bit more deeply? And then secondly, what you learned to then approach issue two from a different lens? So, yeah, I guess with the burnout, um, as I said, I had sort of some health issues flare up that none of them were serious but when everything's kind of bombarding you at once and you don't have answers it can be really scary you know on the yeah on the other side of it was was the mental health side of it which just it's probably like a really extreme version of imposter syndrome like you just I didn't feel worthy of being the person that was doing this thing and I couldn't reconcile the the kind of outward impression of me that people had with how I was feeling internally which was just like deeply insecure and I was really fortunate that I was able to kind of lean on some deep friendships for emotional support and address the health issues and once that kind of side of it was becoming more resolved I was able to have a bit more perspective on the situation but that was a period of probably a few months where I feel like I hit rock bottom a couple of times within that and it was just the combination of the right bits of advice and the right you know feeling better about myself and all of that happening at the right time that allowed me to sort of lift myself up a little bit more and and look forward um, and absorb the advice, right? Because like when you, when you're, firstly, it's difficult to speak to people when you're feeling like that because you just feel like you don't want to burden. You, you sort of feel like um, the thing the thing I kept envisioning was like Lindsay Lohan, where she can't stop talking about Regina George. <laughs> I love that. Like that's how I felt. Like I was just like I felt so crap, and that like yeah. so just like deeply insecure that 
I had these few friends that we'd be constantly exchanging voice notes and every time I was just like, oh, stop talking about this. Oh, I know that exact feeling. And you don't want to be negative? No, exactly. And also because they're giving you good advice, but you just can't absorb the advice. So then it's just like you're just speaking into, it feels like you're just speaking into a void. But yeah, it was mainly once the health stuff was like on the level and I was feeling better, then I I was still like, you know, I still remember hitting this really low point, but I got this piece of advice about boundaries and how for me and coming back to the, to the publisher's letter um, that excerpt that you read out, I felt really intertwined with the first issue. Like I had to really, I draw, I had to draw out what I wanted it to be. I thought I did. And I didn't do that with issue two, but I really felt with issue one, I had to like craft it to be this particular thing. And so much of that was pulled from myself that it just left me with nothing. Like I just had nothing left over. And also it made me feel really exposed to then have that out in the world and have myself kind of out in the world, you know, speaking about the magazine as well. So yeah, that was, did I answer your question? I was, that was like a really roundabout way of. It sounds like what you're saying is you almost put too much of yourself into the first issue and you had to learn how to detach yourself from issue two and not maybe measure it against you as much. Yeah, and just like let it not be a reflection of me. Like the if I had let issue two be a reflection of me, it, it would not have been what I wanted it to be. I couldn't have put where I was at mentally when I started working on it it would have, I wanted it to be joyful and playful and I was not feeling joyful and playful. So I needed to have, you know, these writers and these amazing, talented people come in to be interviewed so that it could be a reflection of all of them. And that is what made it what it was, was me actually like loosening the reins and going, oh, I've I've created the thing and now it's just becomes a mouthpiece for other people now. I heard Pandora Sykes say in a podcast that, if someone hasn't been through like a huge life event, motherhood can be that first thing of like crashing your world. For some people, unfortunately, it might come earlier via losing a parent or something equally tragic. Do you think the exposure of motherhood or bringing out your stories on motherhood is particularly vulnerable? Do you think that's part of it? Like if you're writing a magazine on books, would you have felt the same way? If I'd made the magazine about books, it would not have been the same. I think firstly, society doesn't like value mothers anyway. We already have a big judgment on mothers. No matter what you do, you're, you feel like you're being judged. And then to throw in the fact that I was trying to kind of make a new or newer commentary about motherhood, you know, framed in relation to creativity and wondering like, who am I to to make that commentary? Um, you know, very cognizant that I've spent a large part of my career working on the marketing side of things, which lots of people don't count as creative. And so, you know, there's like a lot of that element to it. And um, I mean, imposter syndrome just has so many arms, right? Like you can question yourself endlessly. Like I mentioned at the start of this interview that I didn't go through formal education. So I'm like, well, I don't have formal like education as a writer or as an artist or as whatever. So maybe I don't know as much about, yeah. whatever subject. I often say to myself, like, do I even have the right to call myself a writer? So I totally resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel at odds with talking about the hard parts of motherhood. I don't want to be negative, but I also don't want to paint this picture of positivity and make people that are feeling negative feel like they're alone because they're not. And we all go through these really hard moments. How did you approach that with the magazine talking about the hard sides of motherhood without it being negative, I guess? I mean, I think it's okay to be negative. I guess I countered it by trying to make something that's also beautiful because that is motherhood. It has got that duality of being sometimes terrible and sometimes really gorgeous, often really gorgeous. So I think, you know, the fact that I was creating a product allowed for the visual balance of that, um, I think it's so important to have the representation of the negative because we are, we're sort of sold a bit of a lie with motherhood. Mm -hmm. Like until you're pregnant or until after you've had your child, people won't often talk about the negative sides of it because I don't know, people have their own reasons for it. I guess they don't want to scare you off, but it's sort of necessary to the continuation of the human species. So it's like, you're going to do it if you're going to do it. I found that even prior to starting How, that I felt a real compulsion to actually be honest with the younger women that I was working with about the negative sides of it because some of them were looking at my cute baby and my Instagram photos and posts and being like oh you know it makes me really want a baby and I was like it is great in many ways but here's the ways that here's the things they don't tell you so as much as maybe it's operating in a bit of an echo chamber because obviously the readership for how is caregivers and so I'm going to assume that most of them have kids by now. Um, but it also just felt necessary to to speak about it more, to normalise it more, to have the the rage and the, the sadness and all those little, you know, sometimes they're silly things, but sometimes they're really deep um, hurts as well that deserve to be spoken about. And so I try to provide space for all of that in the magazine and have it be something that's really true. Um, and representative and you know within that there's freedom for like how negative and positive is interpreted by person by person yeah I guess my worry is someone else interpreting it as negative whereas I just think I'm being honest about experience so it's a really interesting space to be I think I think that all we can do is tell our stories and hope that the right person is going to hear them and get the kind of courage or the hope or whatever they need to draw from it from our stories. And that's not going to be the case for every person coming across every person's story. Some people might be like, oh, this is too negative. But for another person, that might be the thing that helps them realise that they are going through anxiety or burnout or whatever because one person was willing to talk about the gritty things that we like try to sweep under the rug at all other times. I have written in the past about why didn't anyone tell me about the hard bits of motherhood. Do you think that before we become parents, we can actually hear it? This is something that I do wonder as much as I'm like, oh, people need to be honest about what it's like to the people that are not yet there. But I wonder if it would have fallen on deaf ears with me in the past. I mean, you're right, because we were just speaking before about how we lacked that sort of compassion and perspective before we were in the situation. So uh, who's to say? Um, But I I think. We have still been told to be quiet about this, whereas we're starting to speak about it. So maybe it's also partly that. Yeah, exactly. And like you, you hear about sort of 
the sanitized version of the bad bits or the the funny the, the bits that make for like a funny meme that you can it, that makes it almost harder to to really understand like it, it might make for a funny joke but um you know even going back to how I was saying like motherhood as a as a spiritual sort of experience like there is like so many so so much depth to this both positive and negative and I think when people share really deeply about the troubling elements of it it's hard to harder to ignore like when you're actually speaking from a really deep place that's going to people are going to recognize that but yeah I mean I it's very easy to say that now because I'm on the other side of it and it feels like obvious to me so who's to say There was a quote that really stood out to me from this second issue, and it's a piece featuring friends Jordana Henry and Holly McCauley. They say, we both have the same fear and we always have. That's probably why we started the gallery of being engulfed by motherhood, where it becomes the only thing. I think a lot of us can have that fear and it can be reflected in different ways. We're either worried about losing our old selves and how we'll re-emerge into the world post-motherhood. And sometimes that fear is more around, I'm so engulfed by motherhood and I want to be here, but my children one day are going to grow their wings and gain some independence. So I need to protect myself from that in a way. I need to have other interests or whatever it is. How do you think we grapple with not being engulfed by motherhood or how do you think we avoid it? I mean, I don't think you can avoid it. I think that there's going to be times where you are completely engulfed and that you forge yourself through that. We're not meant to stay the same. We're not meant to be static. And I, speaking to my own experience, the times that I have been engulfed, which has been multiple times now, and he's only three and a half, but each time I've come out the other side of it and been so grateful for the personal growth and feeling like, even though I felt really out of control in the moment, I've been able to to take that hurt or or whatever it is and use it to shape myself into something a little bit different and new and maybe a slightly better or stronger version of ourselves. So I think many of us do carry that fear and it's an unavoidable fear and I think it's an unavoidable thing that does happen. It's almost like a necessary, I don't want to say a necessary evil because that's not the right framing of it, but it's almost got some elements of a necessary evil. It's just necessary to the experience. Like we're not going to become better mothers or people or just personal growth. It happens through feeling engulfed and motherhood feels scary. You know, we get engulfed by lots of things in life and motherhood feels particularly scary because it's something that also feels a bit separate from us and and it's an identity that isn't particularly valued or glamorized in in the media or society and so we don't want to be engulfed by that like being a mom it's almost like being unmaternal is cool and being maternal isn't absolutely yes and once you're in it though and you like feel it and you have gone under and come back up you're like okay what's next because I've weathered that storm and I can I can move forward. Oh, you've just spoke straight to my heart. There's so many times now where I'm like, even outside of motherhood, just big life events that have happened in our family in the last 18 months, I'm like, oh, I've come out from that. I, I can do these things. And I think motherhood's a huge, a huge part in that. 
Something that Amy Pearson, who was your brand designer, something that she talked about on this podcast was that it was hard to justify her work until she started bringing money in, which is a sad reality, I think, for our capitalist society. As someone who was creating something very artful, did you have any sense of that? Was it sort of, was it hard being in the infancy stage of it before you had a product to sell and being like, no, this is legitimate what I'm working on? Or or was that something that you didn't really consider? I considered it because it was a factor in the creation of the magazine. Like it's a, I considered it in like a kind of philosophical thematic way that we, you know, don't value mothering because there's, you know, and there's no monetary value attached to the act of caregiving um, and that, you know, creative practice is often something that doesn't pay anything or pays very little or it pays inconsistently. And so these are two very all-consuming roles that, depending on who you ask, don't hold all that much value. And I was essentially choosing to create something right in the middle of that um, at the expense of, of a wage for myself, at least for now. So, you know, I was thinking about the theme. I didn't feel conflicted about about it for myself in the infancy stages. I actually, I feel like that year in the lead up to the first issue coming out was one of the most beautiful years of my life. Being able to have this like creativity bubbling away and like pulling the threads to create something new and then have that time with my child as well. Like that was actually a really, I felt really reconciled with it all um, at that point. I find it a lot harder now having the second issue out, knowing that, there's a third issue that has to come that print costs have to be paid for trying to figure that side of it out. And then knowing that there's also an aim that I have to, I want to start paying myself at some point that is really difficult now, but at the, at the time when it was starting, I didn't, I felt so much courage and I wasn't daunted by, by that side of it. I guess it now that I think about it must have really been one of the inspirations for the magazine, as you're saying, the two areas that you're covering, uh, ultimately or widely not valued in society, creativity and motherhood. So in a way, it perhaps was a driving force. Absolutely. And isn't it wild? Because like, we all consume creativity, like we are all consumers of art in one form or another. We all benefit from like mothering and caregiving at some point in our lives. They're two things that like absolutely are in fairly integral to, if not the working of society, then like people's happiness and well-being. Yeah. Um, but they, they hold very little, yeah, monetary value for the most part. Things are starting to move forward for Howl. I imagine you're getting a lot more exposure as you release the second edition. What does making work work look like for you at the moment as a mother? Uh, for me, it is having childcare arrangements that are non-negotiable, having that time that is my work time um, or my time to create. That is the thing that allows me to do this work. And I have, yeah, I wouldn't be able to create how if I was doing it alongside my mothering. I know that there are people that do that either through no choice of their own or because that's actually they want to be immersed in that world. But for me, I have. I have a very obvious capacity that I'm super aware of. So in order for me to be able to create, I need some space and hopefully quiet. <laughs> so that that's how I make it work is that childcare is a non-negotiable. Even when my son has 
really struggled with it. It's just starting to get a bit better now, but that's been a really long, long road. So that's my that's my thing that I have have to have. And the way that I make work work is knowing that I am in a publishing cycle. So there's going to be periods where I, you know, I'm doing the the thing that I love, which is creating the magazine, and I'm going to be in that hyper focus for like several months doing that and then I'm going to be in very busy in a different way with promoting and um, fulfilling orders and the sales and that side of things but what I'm kind of coming towards now is a really beautiful um, period in the in the cycle where I have pockets of time where there's a bit of a lull and that is where the next issue starts to it's like a little a shortened version of the creation of the magazine in the first place it's where the bubbling ideas start where I get to like pick up a few books like I've got my stack behind me like the books that I have that I know are going to change my way of thinking that you know could be the next signpost moments that go on to influence the shape of issue three and so that is also how I make it work knowing that there's they're going to be stressful times I'm sure there's, I'm sure I'll burn out again. You know, that's what happens when you're one person wearing five or six hats. Like, you know, that's, that's just probably an inevitability of being a one woman show, but knowing that there are those moments where I can have like quiet and go and see friends, go and see family, go and have new experiences and read new things and take it all in is like, that's the balance to that. I think embracing the ebb and flow, which is something that you do learn in motherhood in various other ways too, obviously, but it's that's been a stark sort of lesson for me in motherhood. I think applying that to the way you work is really important and it's definitely helped me. We have spoken in the past about difficult daycare drop-offs. How do you make yourself feel better when you've had a particularly difficult one? I mean, I have cried a couple of times. <laughs> probably more recently because he's older and the the difficult ones now when it's like a small person that is very vocally telling you what they don't want, trying to escape the (laughs) centre, flat risk, like that that is being more confronting for me than when, you know, he was a baby that would cry until someone cuddled him and, and gave him that comfort. I don't know that I have a coping mechanism other than just knowing that doing this is a gift for my son as much as it is for me and I'm showing him that I followed kind of my heart and my truth and I did it again the privilege comes back into it because ultimately I am secure but you know in some ways I did it at the expense of financial security and there was a there was a cost there but it was a worthwhile cost and I, I think that's an example I'm really glad to be setting for him. And I hope that, you know, hopefully he'll f- one day forget the sad daycare drop-offs, but he'll remember what kind of mother I was and what kind of person I was. It's interesting the sort of themes that we've gone through today because I can almost thread together that you felt that burnout, you needed to recalibrate from issue one and how you'd approach things the next edition of your magazine. And then it's almost like you've learned what you need from a boundary point of view, just as a person to then give your best to your little person. Like, even if it breaks his heart in that moment, you know, that the bigger picture is better for him. You're right. It's interesting the ways that 
I've learned that Hal is not part of my physical body. It is a body of my work. And I guess having that separation and appreciation for the separation is like can be applied to to mothering as well. Like he, as much as your child feels like they are a part of you, you have to also trust that you're doing what's best for them and giving them the tools that they need. So yeah, I can see, I can see the parallels. Yeah. And just to finish, what would be your single piece of advice for someone, particularly a mother or a primary caregiver looking to pursue something outside of their regular nine to five? I actually don't know if I have an answer for that. I think I I don't claim to really have answers. I think I, I just have my thing that worked for me and I was, you know, a, a lot of that felt very much out of my hands. Like it, it, kind of the idea came and it came at the right time and I come back to the fact that there's no blueprint for creative mothering so I don't know how to give someone else advice on that other than to just pay attention to your own situation and listen to your own truth and hopefully you can find what works for you as a way of prioritizing your creativity and I don't know maybe read how magazine and someone else's story will resonate with you and and help give you ideas. And speaking of, where can people find you and Howl online? So we are at www.howlmagazine.com.au and there is also a list on the website of stockists around Australia. Congratulations on creating a very beautiful magazine and thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.